0: Welcome back. It's been kind of quiet lately on the uh, investment front. Um, you haven't had a lot of volatility, which is fine by me. Um, getting ready for the election coming up here. By the way, the uh, the S and P five hundred has made kind of a lopsided bull. Uh, I'm sorry, lopsided cup and handle pattern. If you watch that sort of thing, uh, I think it's kind of funny. But that really doesn't mean to, uh, too much, uh, so I wouldn't pay too close attention to that. And I, I want to talk about a few things today uh, outside of just individual stocks, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about those a little bit later in the program. Uh, but I wanted to talk a lot about reducing taxes today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about something that I've just recently learned. This has changed, and last time I looked at I haven't had questions along the lines of taxation in trusts and um tax deferral inside of a trust in a long time. And recently I've had some clients who are interested in this and have some uh, people who are just thinking about investing with us that were asking me some questions. So I did some research and found out that while I had been uh, not paying attention to this, the laws have all changed and that's kind of nice. It's it's for your benefit. And uh, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing actually. So without... Teasing you too much. I, I'll just tell you what it is. So there are certain types of trusts that you can set up. And the, I'm going to focus today on irrevocable trusts. There are all kinds of trusts. An irrevocable trust is a trust that uh, you can't change once you set it up. So you've got to have a really good idea in mind of what you're trying to accomplish before you set it up. Because once you put it into place, then you, the ability to change it significantly is greatly hampered. You, get, you can change it somewhat. You can do a lot of different things we'll get into in a little bit. But for the most part, once you fund a an irrevocable trust, those assets belong to the trust and you get to manage it, but you don't get to take the money back. So that's the difference between an irrevocable trust and a revocable trust. A revocable trust is one that you can change. You can take the money back out again. Okay. So anyway... There's a lot I'm going to be talking about today uh, that has a lot to do with estate planning and taxes. And I'm going to, just going to take the time right now to tell you that I am not an estate planning attorney, that I'm not a uh, licensed tax preparer. So anything you hear from me, ignore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, make sure you talk to a specialist in those areas Okay, where I'm just going to talk about it in generalities. I'm not going to make. Specific recommendations uh, because I like staying in my business. (laughs) So I'm talking about it in generalities. generalities, And if you would like to talk to me about it, to ask some questions, fine. And I can refer you to people that are specialists in those areas, the people I talk to myself. And I think this is is really interesting. These uh, trusts that we're talking about, one of them is a charitable remainder trust. And I'll start with that one because it's one of my favorite. A charitable remainder trust is a trust that you set up. And typically, you're setting it up because you have some stocks that you may have purchased a long time ago. It could be part of a purchase plan you had through your job, at work, or you just inherited these stocks. And they've gone way up in value, and you don't want to sell it because you might have to pay capital gains tax on it. Okay, So if you set up a charitable remainder trust... You could potentially avoid those capital gains taxes. You could sell these stocks. And actually, you'll get a small tax break on this. You're going to get a tax deduction for setting up the Charitable Remainder Trust and transferring the, asset, the highly appreciated stock in there and then selling it. And then you can reinvest the proceeds. Now, The catch is you've got to leave some money to charitable uh, to charity. That's why the, the word charitable appears in the name of the trust. But that doesn't happen until your grandkids are are there. So you can actually avoid having to pay taxes and you can have your kids avoid paying some taxes. Eventually some taxes are going to have to be paid, but that, uh, and you have to leave a little bit of money to a charity. So, and it's not even that much. So you can actually set these up and start to draw income for your lifetime and you can Make it so that your kids can get lifetime income as well. and uh, But at some point in time, some of the money is going to have to go to charity. And I, I think it's a great idea. Uh, again, uh, I'm not an estate planning attorney. I know several estate planning attorneys. And if you need to talk to somebody more in more detail, feel free to give me a call. I really feel like I'm uh, one of the things I try to do for my clients is to be a translator. Because one of my attorneys that I, I really like a lot uh over the years I've known this guy forever when he talks to the general public I mean he just he basically forgot how to speak English when he graduated from law school <laughs> he just it it's hard because he's so used to talking in technical terms and he, and he can't talk in normal terms anymore and uh so hopefully by the time he's my age <laughs> he's a lot younger than I am yeah, that he will actually uh n- learn that communication skill because he's such a bright guy and can do amazing things. uh, But he has a hard time communicating that to potential clients or people that are thinking about doing some of these things. So anyway, that's one of my roles that I've taken on It's it's being a translator, Uh, try to take the extremely difficult financial language and sometimes legal language and ask. And so a lot of my clients will call in and ask questions that I don't know the answer to. So I can get a hold of of my network of people, find the answers and then call back and report uh, what I found. So I I spent a lot of time doing that by the way. And um, everybody that does what I do spends a lot of time doing that. If they, uh, if they want to stay in the business, I should say (laughs) only if you want to do a good job. So let's get back to the uh, charitable remainder trust. This is the, uh, this is a pretty interesting thing. So you can kind of control the assets and that's, that's a good thing. You can have distributions made to yourself and your kids. You got the tax breaks. So if you got a really highly appreciated asset and you're looking for a, a way of selling that without incurring all those taxes, that could be a pretty good idea. Now, here's the thing that really caught my attention. When I was looking at this, when you have a trust, the trust is and the trust is the owner of the asset. So let's say you, you set up a charitable remainder trust, you put some, a big bunch of money in it, you sold it, and then you reinvested it in funds. Well, the funds are not going to have to pay a whole lot of taxes in the first $12,500 in uh, income, but every dollar above that's going to get taxed at 37%. $12,500, not a lot of money. You know, if you've, if you've got a lot of money in your account and and they're all dividend-paying stocks or stock funds or uh, anything of that nature, you, maybe you've got a real estate investment trust in there, you only get $12,500 without paying a, a really high rate of taxes on it. And anything above there is taxed at 37%. That's huge. That's a huge rate. So now I can hear a lot of people turning the uh, radio dial to another station. Don't do that yet. <laughs> Because there are ways of deferring that tax. And you, you don't have to pay the taxes on that anymore. And, and you know, you've heard of me talking about a, a nationwide product over the past couple months. Um, there's another nationwide product that's actually maybe more applicable to this situation. If you wanted to sell some highly appreciated assets, avoid the taxes on that, going to take care of yourself, your kids, as far as income goes over your lifetimes, Uh, but you'd still like to cut down on the amount of taxes that are going to be paid in the future, well, you can do that. You can do that with uh, variable annuities, and it's amazing. I mean, uh, I don't know when this changed, quite frankly, uh, because I haven't really kept up with it that closely, but now there's a way of tying the annuity to the trust to keep the assets tax-deferred, and then when you're taking distributions, you're only paying taxes on the distributions, not the whole thing or not, if you've made more than 12000 a year uh, in the trust, but you're only taking out 12000 a year, well, guess what? The uh, You've just avoided taxes on whatever you made above that amount, at least for the time being. So if you're interested in this, by the way, feel, feel free to call or reach out on my website. I'd be very glad, very happy to point you in the right direction here. Find out what it is that you're trying to do. And, but I think when you're trying to avoid taxes uh, and you're trying to keep some control and being able to still utilize the vast majority of the assets, uh, if not yeah, most of them, um, this is a really good idea. It's a phenomenal idea. And uh, there's some other things that, that you can do. And we'll be talking about these topics on the this radio show going forward as this is uh, gotten to be pretty important now. that All the, not all the rules, a lot of the rules for income taxes have changed. And I like to say nothing is as constant as change. That's the Bill Bullington saying. <laughs> nothing is as constant as change. The uh, I know there are a lot of sayings that are similar to that out there, but uh, I just like that. And uh, this is a good change. This is a good development to be able to control assets. I know some people have uh, children that, um, oh, well, you know, I've got brothers and sisters that you know, probably fall into this category or are used to anyway um, before they passed away. And uh, um, not sisters so much as uh, one brother. Uh, if he'd had two cents given to him uh, directly from, you know, if my parents had predeceased his timeline or the time that he passed away, he would have spent the money. Yeah, I have no I I no doubt that he would have spent that money. And so if you are worried about that with children, you might have children that maybe they're not that um uh maybe they just don't know a whole lot about uh personal finance and you're worried about that. You can set up in a trust document it can be very specific on how much money they're supposed to get, how they get it, how it's managed. That's a uh it, it's a really good idea. Uh now, if you don't have a ton of dough and like millions. You can actually set up some of these investment only trusts, and that's what they're calling it, I'm sorry, investment only variable annuities. That you can set those up and you can accomplish a lot of the things that you could accomplish with a trust, but you don't need to go to the extra expense. That's new. And I was amazed. I don't know. I feel like I'm Rip Van Winkle. I I woke up and, and all these things have changed. But you can actually set different Time parameters on a uh, an investment only variable annuity. They call it in uh, IOVA. So an investment only. That means there's only investment. The insurance costs on this are only twenty bucks a month. Think about that for a second. You know what the average mortality expense charge? That's a, that's called it. That's an insurance charge for the vast majority of uh, annuities. The average is one point two three. Just for that portion. That's not the total fee. But 1.23% is the average across the country. If, so if you had a million dollars, that would be 12300 bucks a year just in insurance charges. Okay. If you had a million dollars in this one, it's only 20 bucks a month. Think about that for a second. $20 a month. No matter how much money you have invested, that's a big deal. Here's another thing that I really like about this. There are 350 funds in there. 350 funds vanguard fidelity t-row price you name it it's it's mind-boggling that they have all those funds and incidentally these are institutional funds the vast majority of these funds you would have to have a million dollars per fund to be able to invest in it outside of that product a million bucks i know that's easy for everybody listening to this show you just throw millions around like it's nothing right Yeah, I'm kidding. See, the the institutional funds have much lower expense ratios than the funds that you would buy if you were a retail investor just going up to Fidelity or Vanguard or T. Rowe Price or any of them. Um, You get the retail price, and in this product, you get the institutional price. That's a big deal. The, The cost differential is pretty large. You still get everything else that you'd normally get from annuity. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons that the fees are so low is that there's also no char- charge going into it. There's no charge coming out of it if you decide to leave early. So that's kind of a big deal. No charges going in, no charges going out. That's pretty nice. Now, if you're working through somebody like me, we have a very low management fee. We'll manage. We we'll pick the funds within that group of 350, and we rebalance the portfolios for you. Uh, by the way, the rebalancing. When you buy and sell stuff, one of the reasons that a lot of taxable accounts don't get rebalanced very often is because nobody likes to hear what their clients say when they get their their tax bill. Why did I get? Why did you sell that? Why Well, because the risk was a little high. That fund was up a lot, and we needed to spread it out and re-diversify. That's called rebalancing your portfolio. It also creates a taxable event. Like sometimes it creates lots of taxable events. All in one account. Most of the time, it does. So, if it's tax deferred, no no taxable event, at least not yet. Not until you decide to take it out. And by the way, you don't have to take these out at age seventy two. That's another key difference. I mean, there are so many things, so many good things about this. It's it's such a nice tool to have in your bailiwick. That uh, did I say that right? Is it? I don't know what Baileywick is actually. It's just a, one of those phrases I used to hear my grandmother say. <laughs> but anyway, so if you have this in your toolkit, that's a that's a really good thing. It's uh low cost, lots of options, keeps your taxes way down low, really simplifies the tax return. I remember uh oh, I I probably have 10 or 15 different clients. We were just into our low turnover models. A low, turner, low turnover does not mean no turnover. When you rebalance a portfolio, you have to buy and sell stuff. And I got to go because I hear the music playing, and that means we have to take a commercial break. you listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. In the dark and all alone, growing comfortable. Tonight is beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder. And we're back. Isn't that some good music? Yeah. I gotta tell Josh thanks for picking that out for me. <laughs> oh, So I'm going to finish up on this. I know I'm probably boring people to death, but this won't bore you to death. I'm going to, uh, mm, let me see. So in a trust, if you generate 12500 bucks in income in a trust, it's going to get taxed, Anything above that amount gets taxed at thirty seven percent. That is crazy, thirty seven percent to get into that tax bracket. Tax bracket at least today. By the way, again, I have to tell you, I am not a tax professional. I have a a uh, mm-hmm. several people that I talked to. One of them is actually an enrolled agent, and uh, so don't take this as gospel. Take this as something that you should check into. Anyway, 37% above $12,500. Typically today, at least to my understanding, you'd have to, to, to pay that level of taxes. You'd have to have income of about over $770,000. Oh, bucks. i am sorry, $470,000. So think about that. If anything above 12500 in a trust starts getting taxed at 37%, you put that trust assets in a deferred annuity, it bumps that up big time. And if the trustee of the trust distributes the annuity, let's say you're taking distributions and they're more than 12500 a year, okay, there's the potential that if it's done correctly that the income wouldn't be taxed to the trust, meaning that that $12,500 limit doesn't pertain to you, but instead flows through to the beneficiary, gets taxed at the beneficiary's tax rate. And I'm pretty sure most beneficiaries tax Brackets aren't 37% because most beneficiaries aren't getting over $470,000 a year in income. <laughs> Some will. I mean, I wish I had about, actually, I would only need about five clients like that. <laughs> that would be my whole practice. If you're generating $470,000 in income from your trust, that means you've got a lot of money. <laughs> so, anyway. But I just thought that this was kind of neat. So if you hear stuff like this and you'd like to talk about it or you'd like more information, just go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com. Again, I'm not a tax preparer. Uh, I'm not a uh, um, an accountant. Uh, I just happen to know a lot about this stuff because I've been doing it for 30 years. And uh, sometimes experience is the best teacher. Sure was, I sure wish it was somebody else's experience I was learning from. <laughs> living through that yourself is pretty rough. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But a little bit. But I really like the uh, I I really like this thing. And one of the things I really like about this particular uh product is that there's there's no sales charge going in or out. The ME expense is only 20 bucks a month. That that blows my mind. The uh, those are the administrative expenses that the company that uh, administers this charges. Normally it's like one and a quarter, uh, sometimes one and a half. So you're talking one and a quarter on 100,000 bucks, that's 1,200 bucks. On a million bucks, that's $12,500 just in mortality and expenses from the insurance company. And yours is only $20 a month. So that's pretty good. 350 investment options. Awesome. The uh, Very flexible. The ability to use it now, the way that we've been talking about today, is kind of mind-boggling, actually. Uh, and, and incidentally, if you're one of those people that doesn't have you know, millions of dollars, which are most of us, you know, most of us don't have over $10 million. The, uh, um, and if you're in, into that category, which 99.9% of the population is, you may not even need one of these trusts. If you've got... Uh, one of the trusts that people used to set up would be called... It was called a spendthrift trust. You know, They have a child who has control has control issues over their spending. Now, I know nobody knows anybody like that. <laughs> but if you did, they would set up these trusts called spendthrift trusts so that a trustee that was typically not the child, it was somebody that was named as a trustee in the uh, bank trust department, uh, large trust companies out there that would do this for people. They would you'd set up the trust called the spendthrift trust. They would administer the trust and they would send out the money. And so you had to go through all the expenses of setting up the trust. It's a few thousand dollars minimally. Then you have to you pay the trustees their, their fees that are managing the money. And then there's the uh, fees of the actual trustees that, that may be just doing the accounting and the bookkeeping. Um, so it could be kind of expensive to set it up and kind of expensive to administer. Not so with this product. Um, You could set this up to actually act similarly to the trust. You could put directions to only pay out X amount of dollars during this, during my beneficiary's lifetime. And you can get very specific with it, which I thought was really kind of not very specific. You can get more specific with it than you could in the past. So you could actually kind of control those assets from the grave, you know, in case you had somebody. And, And oftentimes, it's not, you know, if you have a a disabled child, that, that might be a, a nice thing to be able to do. Or if you have a, a grandchild or, or, you know, an extended family member, you can actually set these up, set beneficiaries up without the need of a trust. Um, I wouldn't really recommend that in most cases, but if, you know, if you have those issues and. Uh, or maybe you just don't have the kind of money it takes to to want to spend on that sort of thing, then uh, that might be an option for you. Just saying. So again, if you have any questions on this stuff, feel free to go to my website and, and give us a call because it is this is very important. Um, we're all nobody makes it out of this world alive. You know, old man, time bets a thousand. You're going to have to deal with this stuff sooner or later, and this is one of the more pleasant ways I can think of. To have to deal with this uh, and setting up beneficiaries on your accounts. If you if you don't know who your beneficiaries are, you need to get with your financial advisor and check that out. Um, that's very important. You know, there, boy, that you're going to avoid a lot of uh, misery by doing that. So I'll just leave that with with you there. And I have to uh, find out now. Um, how much time till the next break? Okay, about ten minutes here, so I'll I'll be talking about this on an ongoing basis, kind of regularly, because this this is a big deal, and and it's always changing a little bit. In fact, this stuff has changed so much since the last time I really took a deep dive into it, and I was really impressed, quite frankly, because it's improved. It's really improved the situation regarding. Tax deferral and trusts using using uh, variable annuities. I like the investment only or, you know, if, and again, the other product that we were talking about for the past few weeks, looking at uh, annuities to guarantee income. If you just want to guarantee an income, you can still use it in conjunction with the trust, or you can put some of the beneficiary provisions on there so that it pays out to your beneficiaries over their lifetimes. There's a lot of stuff here. The The options have multiplied. And for the most part, for the most part, I'm going to say 99% of it, 99.9% of it, it's all benefiting the public. I'm like, I wonder who, who was in office when this stuff got passed. <laughs> I want to know. I'll have to go look this up and uh, send them a thank you <laughs> note or card. But um, so anyway, I just really impressed with this. I'm going to continue to, to talk about these things uh, a little bit each show because it, you know it's a big deal. Um, I've just gone through a situation. The last two years, I've lost three of my immediate family members, three, in in just a little over a year. So that's pretty tough. And you start thinking about a lot of this stuff a lot more you know, recently and having plans in place for this, not only for you, but for the uh, people that you're going to leave behind. It's, it's kind of a big deal so again we'll we'll be talking about that much more in much more detail and I'm going to be uh, interviewing a p- couple people i'm trying to get some people to come on the radio show with me that practice in this every day It's like pulling teeth by the way I'm like, you know nobody's going to see you <laughs> you're on the radio <laughs> I, i'd forgotten about that for the first six months I did the radio. I had a bag over my head, <laughs> just kidding but the uh I've been told they do have the perfect face for radio <laughs> uh, anyway uh, now you know why i'm not a comedian <laughs> But anyway we're going to uh talk a little bit about uh, some individual stocks here this is funny i don't know anybody that's been following the show you know i i typically talk a lot about stocks um discover financial services it's, it's actually right around this it, it's not that much higher than it was when i first talked about it And that was several years ago, right before it uh, uh, actually was in a range, trading ranges from like the low 60s to the mid-90s, for about three or four years, and that's that's not uncommon. But this year, the stock got kiboshed when the the pandemic hit. I mean, it it dropped like 75% of its value. I'm like, oh! So I go from a... A, a fairly nice gain to now I've got a big loss on my hands. Uh, so I ended up purchasing more of it. We talked about it right on the right, on the show as I was doing it, you know, those weeks during that time period. So now I like, I'm just going to report on it. It came up on my momentum scan again today. The momentum scan is a scan that picks up stocks that are going up really quickly. And uh, it's actually slightly above where I first bought it and way above what my average cost was after being way down from where my average cost was. And that's been very interesting. And it just caught my attention because as I'm sitting here in the radio studio and I'm running the scans and I looked at it and I'm like, Oh, there's my, that's my favorite, favorite credit card company. And, um, so that was kind of neat. Um, I used to manage most of the money that I managed with this particular technique. I don't do it anymore because the market's just too fast. It is way faster than it was back when I first started doing that. And I do have a website out. It's called Lookout for the Bull, where it publishes the list. This will be on the list today. The uh, It publishes that list that comes out every day of those stocks that are moving up really fast right now. And uh, Mike Seeger is actually the publisher of that, that list. And he's a good kid. He just graduated from Case. He's working in the financial services industry, understands it, does a good job posting these things every day. Uh, if you ever wanted to learn more about that, just go to lookoutforthebull dot com. I think it's really interesting. Investing in general is is extremely interesting to me. Uh, whether it's how do you save money on taxes, and before you had a lot of the uh, recent developments that have come out, come out, there used to be um, a lot more of them, and then they they cut back on a lot of the tax shelters, and now you've got a handful, which is more than you had a few years ago when you only had like two or three uh so it's getting a little bit better from that standpoint but it is incredibly complicated yeah and i can tell you this you don't want to be buying and selling a lot of stocks outside of an ira i'm doing this in one of my iras because just the transactions the speed you have to act with the uh putting that on your tax return i know all my clients have gotten used to it for a while there because we were using this firm that bought fractional shares uh, and uh, the tax return, just the document on the account would be you know, 60, 70 pages. No kidding. And so that's one of the reasons I don't do that a lot anymore. And One of the other reasons that I don't do it a lot is that there are options that you can invest in that are doing something that was so similar to what I was doing. It just really doesn't make that much sense. So the only reason to do this kind of thing is because you really like it. And at some point in time, there's an investment club I've been talking to, and we're going to be able to coordinate and get them a meeting place because they, they lost theirs, and we're going to start meeting and talking about that. If you if you like individual stocks, if you like investing, uh, that's what this segment of the program is normally for, you know, just talking about those types of things. Um, I'm going to continue to talk about more generalized planning uh, for the first part of, the, of every show that I do. Today we're talking about taxes, really. Taxes relating to trusts, taxes relating to uh, beneficiaries. How to avoid long-term capital gains tax on highly appreciated assets. And again, if you didn't hear that, if you're just now tuning in, uh, go to the website, BullingtonCapital.com. You can click on it there. You can pick up this show. It's it's a podcast, and I believe it's on the Fishes podcast as well. And uh, uh, Josh tells me, yes, it is. So you can get it on 955 If you hear something that you'd like more information on you, feel free to drop us a line. Uh, nothing has gotten as more complicated as my industry has, I promise you. When I left to start Bullington Capital, it was 2004. I believe there were a, uh, oh there were a, less than a hundred exchange- traded funds at that time, or less than 100 popular ones. Uh, today, there are several thousand. That has changed the way the market behaves, like big time when you just look at the s and p five hundred look at what happened this year that that is blowing my mind in february the s and p 's right around the same price it is now, right before it drops by a third, which happened by the way, in a little over a month, a little over a month it goes down by a third that's Pretty intense. Then it comes up, and by September was at a new high, new all-time high. Right before it came down, ten percent <laughs> in less than a month. Now it's uh, slightly below where it was during that time period, but it's actually up from that bottom point. As of today, it's up seven and a half percent, and that's in about a month. That's that's insane. You can't tell me that the value of all those companies is changing that much that quickly. It's just, it's not the way it works. That's one of the reasons that diversification is so much more important than it used to be, even though it makes you kind of feel bad. You know why diversification makes you feel bad? Because if you're holding categories, which in the long run, you know, have a tendency to do very well, but in the short run, they have a tendency to lag behind uh, from time to time which all the categories do from time to time, makes you feel bad. You're like, why didn't I just have my money in the best performing category? And that I can tell you what the reason is for that. What the reason is for that. The reason that you can't have your money in the best performing category all the time is because you don't have a crystal ball that works. And neither do any of us. <laughs> I do have a crystal ball in my office. If you ever make an appointment to come in and see me, which are free, by the way, the, uh, you'll see it. It sits there right on my windowsill. It's a real crystal ball. The reason it sits on my windowsill and not on my desk is because it doesn't work. <laughs> and it was making clients ne- uh, anxious when they would come in and see that. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, actually, kind of. Yeah, I, I did see people looking at it, looking at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> that was just my sense of humor. So anyway, I do have a crystal ball. It doesn't work. That's why diversification doesn't feel good. If you're holding small cap stocks or international emerging markets and they're underperforming large cap stocks which is, you know, basically the last 5 years, yeah, you're really unhappy about that. At some point in time, assuming that history doesn't repeat exactly but it rhymes, when those categories catch up, you'll be happy that you had them. And that's kind of how this has worked if you go back to the beginning of time different categories work well over different time periods. What I wouldn't be holding out on and in fact I uh I sent out an email that was talking about the low interest rates and how some other categories may outperform the low interest rates and some guy sends a nasty email back. I bet my 60/40 beats yours. And I'm like, "Well, first of all, I wasn't recommending those uh to the general public and I didn't write the article, but I thought it was okay." Secondly, if you're doing a traditional 60-40, good luck. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> it's good luck. <laughs> a traditional 60-40, you got 60% stocks, 40% in the aggregate bond index with interest rates being this low. Good luck. And if you didn't like that article, boy, you're really going to hate it when you see what I just said come to fruition. Nah. Uh, You don't have to do that. I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. Don't hold all your money in long-term bonds. Don't hold your money in something. If something's got more than a 3% current yield, you're going to want to pass on that. I hear the music. Is my show over? Oh, just a second. All right. (laughs) Well, then, in that case, I'll be back right after these commercial messages. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. back. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420, also being simulcast on 1220. So you can pick it up there as well. And that Actually, I think that signal goes out a little farther than the 1420 does. So if you're driving away and it's starting to break up, just switch it on over. Or go to my website and listen to it there or the Fishes podcast, 955thefish.com. You can also find it there. And I believe it's on iHeartRadio as well. And I think the show gets stored as a podcast on iTunes. So you go to the Bullington Capital Report. Now, why you would do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I uh, I really have trouble listening to myself <laughs> on the radio. But anyway, and the only reason I do this is to try to bring the type of information that I'm bringing to you um, because I feel very, uh, well, first of all, it's my business, but more importantly, I feel like people need to know this stuff. And a lot of the stuff you hear on television, it's, 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 there's so much fluff and it's just to fill up airtime and that's it most of it's not very important and but they make it all seem like it it's extremely important and emails oh you got to do this and like, yeah right, no, no really actually a lot of it you don't and earlier when we we're talking about the investment only variable annuity super low cost uh do you have to pay a commission on a uh an annuity product no you don't uh, are all annuities bad heck no yeah, are, are all annuities good? Nope. You got to be careful. You got to try to match up the appropriate product with the appropriate need. That's when people in uh, my industry get in trouble. When you try to put everybody in the same product, that's not a good idea. It's it. It's not going to fit unless you're screening out uh, prospective clients to an extremely high level where you're only talking to people that it would be a good fit for, then that's okay. But uh, trying to... Sell stuff that, you know, doesn't fit. That's that's what gives us a bad name. And try not to do that <laughs> if you're in my business. Yeah, that's tough. And by the way, a lot of people don't know. You know, a lot of people don't know, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? And that's where when you have an advisor, you can sit down and, and discuss what you're thinking about doing. And I have these discussions all the time. Actually, I spend 90% of my time. Well, maybe 80% of my time. of my time writing, researching and discussing options that are available to people. You have an enormous number of options to try to achieve whatever your financial goals are. And, uh, um, that takes a long time. And so I need to ask you a lot of questions when you you are are trying to accomplish something. And one of the hardest things too, is to try to figure out what you want to do. You know, it's like the, Kids that are in college, what do you want to do for a living? I don't know. Um, well, maybe you might want to start thinking about it because you're about to graduate, you know, one or two years, and then you got to work. So uh, you should probably think about that. And I know uh, a lot of parents who have kids in college right now are shaking their heads, yep, and the college kids are going, yep. <laughs> we don't know what we want to do. That's a, uh, That's a tough thing. You should spend some time thinking about that. When you get out of school, it's not going away. You're going to have to think about, well, what kind of lifestyle would I like to have in retirement? Um, that's a tough one. How do you live now? How do your parents live? Find out what your mom and dad make each year. Multiply that by three quarters seventy five percent and that's what it would take to maintain their lifestyle. If you want to live higher than that, then you're gonna need more than that. Let's say they make a hundred thousand bucks between the two of them so seventy five percent of that's seventy five thousand bucks seventy five thousand dollars is 5% of what? I actually have to do that really quickly. Uh, It's one and a half million. So you need, if you got a million and a half bucks, you could maintain your parents' lifestyle. Now here's the bad news. You're only 20. (laughs) By the time you're 60, 40 years from now, at a 3% inflation rate, that one and a half million is actually going to be closer to 6 and that can be depressing, <laughs> but only if you're not aware of how the uh, economy has a tendency to work. The reason that inflation goes up is companies raise prices. Why do companies raise prices? Because their costs go up and they need to defend their profit margin. If they don't have a profit, they go out of business. I just made that super simple. And If you want to hear that again, pull it up on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can talk to me anytime you want. Yeah, but yeah. So a kid who's twenty years old wants to have seventy five thousand dollars, the equivalent of a seventy-five thousand dollar today in today's dollars, which is not huge. Okay, you'd have to have about a million and a half to produce that without Social Security, okay, just from your investments. And so if you go out over the next forty years, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be two and a half to three times that amount. Now what's What's three times? Well, that'd be four four point five million. So not six million, but four point five million dollars. Wow! I'm glad I'm old. <laughs> I'm not that old, but the uh, yeah that that was the uh, it was crazy. I remember when I was in college and I and I first started taking the, the classes in in economics and they started talking about the real rate of return. That means if you adjust it for inflation, I started doing the math and I was like,
1: holy
0: cow! I'm gonna have to have $2 million minimally, to have an average American lifestyle by the time I reach the age of 65. $2 million. Yeah. And you know what? That's still true. You'd need about $2 bucks if you didn't get Social Security. Now, getting Social Security knocks that down by a lot, by about a million bucks. Okay, So Social Security is very valuable. Don't worry about Social Security going away. It ain't happening. Let me tell you something. It ain't happening. And I hope that the fact that I use the word ain't gets under your skin because that gets you to listen. <laughs> it's it's not going to happen. Do you know how quickly we would have an all-new Congress, Senate, and President? The very next election. Let them mess around with Social Security, see what happens. <laughs> That's the nice thing about America. You don't have to have a war for a revolution. You just wait for the next election. See ya. uh, That was one of the brilliant things that our forefathers put into our Constitution. You don't have to have a revolution. Not in this country. You just vote them out. So I hope you guys are all going to vote shortly. I don't really care how you vote, as long as you do. And uh, that should be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Everything is. By the way, they, things are better than um, than the news would have you believe. You know, that's that's one of the developments over the past few years. I'm just not that fond of a lot of, a lot of you hear all the fake news and a lot of it's fake and a lot of it a lot of it is actually being re, uh, reported accurately, but they're leaving out like material events or material items that would change the whole um, definition of the story. And I'm not a big fan of that. That that really uh, upsets me because I have to deal with that personally when they come to me and ask, ask me about things that you know just aren't true, or haven't been true. And what what we should really be voting for is the president of the Fed. That's the most that's the most powerful person in the in the world because he controls the the banking system for the world's largest economy. He has way more power than the president does. He can cause a recession or bail you out at the at the snap of a finger mind-boggling the result by the way would either be you know if you did it if you overdid it and be inflation that gets too high or you get massive recession so that's a very important job got to be very careful with what you're doing there and fortunately we have that in our existing government i'm, I'm extremely satisfied with the way that they have handled everything and uh, well you know the money supply is the blood flow of the economy. And I mean, imagine you go into open heart surgery and most of the time, well, a lot of times, you know, they take all the blood out of the body uh, for some of those surgeries. That is, that's mind boggling anyway. So you have to, to be able to get the surgery done effectively. And then you got to put it back in. When you take money out of the economy, guess what? You know, if you don't put it back in, and you're going to have problems, like big problems. And I know that is a horrible analogy, but I'm getting kind of punchy here. I've been talking to myself for an hour. <laughs> I'm the only one that can get away with saying that, by the way, because cause I'm the sole sponsor of my show. <laughs> I am, uh, uh so Anyway, I'm, I am getting kind of uh, tired here, but it's a good thing I'm going to go home and rest after this. <laughs> Uh, and I'm just running a scan, by the way. I'm going to run the scan for today's list on the lookout for the bull. And uh, what's really funny about this, you should see how quickly this happened. It literally takes the machine almost no time. Okay, I'm going to click it right now when it, and it's done. It went through all 10,000 listed stocks that quickly. By the way, there's only 3,000 big enough for a mutual fund to invest in. So... um Maybe it's not as impressive as it seems, but even going through 3,000 stocks that quickly. And here's the criteria. This is the criteria that we're looking for. The stock has to have a price to sales ratio below 10. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. It's a hard calculation. The computer did that in about seven seconds, over 3,000 stocks. Actually, it went through 10,000 to narrow it down to 3,000 and then went through the ten the 3,000 stocks. So it actually screened twice. And then, I'm looking for the capitalization. That's the market value of the company above 500 million. Why a mutual fund is not allowed to buy a stock that's below 500 million in market cap without special dispensation from the SEC? Did you know that? Well, now you do. The, uh, anyway, the price history. It's got to be above 10 bucks a share. Today's average. Today's volume has got to be above its average volume over the last 90 days. And last but not least is that it has to be closing in the upper half of that day's range. Why is that? Because you want a stock closing well. Uh, if it closes well, there that mean, it means there's a good chance maybe it'll close well again tomorrow. So it did all that over all those stocks in seven seconds. That is amazing. And that's what Mike publishes every day, he publishes that list. And I just ran it again. First stock that comes up on it called Flex. I forget. I used to know what that is. Oh yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, they make electronic components. It's a very low profit margin business, but the, the chart actually looks pretty good. Uh, Citigroup came up. That's interesting. Citigroup's valuation's about half of its long term average, and that's coming up on a momentum scan. That's a riot. The uh, it might be time to make a little purchase. I'm not going to. I don't like banks. <laughs> They're kind of slow. Oh no. The music's playing. That means my show is over. I want to thank everybody for listening. My name is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, if you want to reach out to me. I want to uh, wish you all a good weekend and uh, take care of yourself. I'll be back here next Saturday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report.